All right, let's pray. And we'll get started in Matthew chapter 12. God, I thank you for your word. And Father, I'm so thankful that my throat is killing me because of worship. Oh, Lord, I can't wait to get to heaven and not have a throat that hurts all the time from singing. And Lord, a voice that sounds good. (laughs) God, you're so good. You are so worthy of our praise. Father, your word is so rich and good. And Lord, we want to mine the depths, Lord God, to to do what we can, Father God, to open ourselves up, Father, for the soil to be fresh and new and ready, Father, to receive what you have for us today. And so, God, I pray for each one here, Lord God, would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts, God? Would you get us ready to hear you speak to us, Lord? And would you get me out of the way? Father, we want you to speak. We want your word, Lord, to come alive in our hearts. Father, we know that's a prayer that you would more than be more than glad to answer. And so, God, we trust that you're going to pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, you guys, we are in chapter 12, verse 38. We've been kind of slowly making our way through literally like one conversation that he's been having kind of an elongated conversation, though, with the Pharisees. And so you guys know, I'm not going to spend too much time in review, but for those of you that may not have been here, he's been kind of hammering on the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are using all these other people to try to trap him, a man with a withered hand, right? This demon-possessed person, they're all looking at all these people, and they're like, you know, just trying to put him in a box, trying to trap him. And, And instead of seeing the goodness of what God's doing, They're seeing the fact that they're losing authority or the fact that they're losing followers, right? It'd be like on Instagram. They're like, he's stealing all my followers. Oh my gosh. Right? Like they're not happy about it. And so they're not, they're not super stoked about who this Jesus guy is. And so we're going to continue this discussion that he's having with the Pharisees about their hearts and about where they're at. We're going to be finishing up the rest of chapter 12. Is everyone happy? We've been in it for what? Three weeks, I think. Let's get into it. (laughs) starting in verse 38 says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment, in the judgment, forgive me, with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. You guys, he... He's not letting up. Jesus is, he doesn't pull punches. No, he just socks them right in the mouth again. Right? Here's the truth. And you guys, I I want us to get a picture of what's happening here. The Pharisees realize that a frontal attack is never going to work, right? Because Jesus has got every answer squared away for them. And not only does he have every answer squared away, he shows their heart to the whole multitude, the people that are around. He shows like, you guys are wrong, straight up wrong, right? You have no goodness in your heart for this person with the withered hand. You don't want to see this person healed. Instead, you're trying to use him to trap me. 
Right? Like, we don't heal on the Sabbath. So what did he do after that? People came and I, I, I just imagine that people are coming up and he's like, bow, 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 bow. He's healing people left and right. He's like saying like, look, I am God in flesh here on earth. I'm going to do what is right and good. I don't care what you think. Should be something to us to think about, right? It's never a bad time to do what is good. So what do they do? They flip the script. Right. They flip and it's such a quick flip. I hope you guys can kind of sense the oozing kind of sarcasm and ridiculousness that is coming out of their mouth right now when they're like, oh, teacher, just show us a sign and we'll believe you. Show us a sign, teacher. Oh, master. Right. It's so disgusting. Right. They act like, oh, man, if we see a sign, then we'll believe If we can see you do something miraculous, Jesus, I mean, then maybe we'll believe. And it's like, dude, what have you not been seeing? Have you not been watching? Are you not looking? It's ridiculous. Jesus knows their hearts, though. He knows what's up. And he he just is like, okay, there's another reason for me to come against you guys, to call you out for what you are. And he does. He says an evil and adulterous generation. An evil and adulterous generation. Think about this. I want you guys to get your head around what's happening here. Here is the multitude that's with them and the Pharisees, right? And we thought it was bad when, you know, when John the Baptist was, you know, calling them like all these names and people are like, whoa, right? Like it's on. Well, here's Jesus and he's doing the same thing. He's calling them, you know, den of vipers. Later on, we're going to read that he calls them whitewashed tombs, which means basically you're all clean on the outside, but you're dead. On the inside. He is not afraid to tell them where they stand. Why? Because he loves them enough to tell them, you need to fix this. You need to repent. Think about what Jesus has already done in their time, in their, you know, in what they've observed. They've, he's made blind men see. He's literally healed people left and right. He's already shown that he's the Messiah In so many ways, and yet they still can't believe and accept what he's doing, that he's the promised Messiah. So Jesus says, look, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. And I want you guys to understand the bombshell that's being dropped here. He literally is telling the disciples, the multitude and the Pharisees, I'm going to die and rise again. That's huge. It's huge. He says, look, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. That's the way it's going to be for me. He's like, man, Jonah, you guys know the story of Jonah, right? Four short chapters. It's an amazing book. It just shows that if God's got a call in your life, you ain't running away from it. And if I were you, Jonah is just such a clear picture that if you're running the opposite way, you might get swallowed. So don't do that. Right. And then you got to be vomited, which is better than the other way. Right. (laughs) But either way, God was going to get it figured out. Right. Right. It's yeah, it's way better than the other way. For real. He'd be like, but Jonah was on this ship going the opposite way from Nineveh. He was literally going the polar opposite direction from Nineveh. This storm comes up. They're freaking out. And they say that Jonah was way down in the bottom of the ship. And so they go down and they get him and they're like, we don't know what the heck is happening. And he's like, I do. This is my paraphrase, of course. Right. He's like, I do. I'm a Hebrew. I'm not listening to what my God says. 
They're like, he's like, throw me overboard. You'll be fine. Right. And so they're like, okay, good. <laughs> and they huck him off the boat. And I, I don't know why I have this. I don't know if you guys have ever watched Veggie Tales. <laughs> That's exactly what I see. The storm's raging. He gets hucked off the boat and immediately it's like, boom. <laughs> right. And they're like, <laughs> that's what I see. And Jonah's like, um, hello. <laughs> right? No, this big fish comes up and gets him, swallows him. He lives for three days inside the belly of this fish. Think about what he did. Jonah literally said, look, this crew, just this tiny little crew, I'm sacrificing myself for them. That's essentially what Jesus is getting at. It's a picture of what Jesus is going to do for the entire world. Right? Then we know that he gets vomited up on the shores of Nineveh, which is interesting enough, right? Because if this fish is so big, whether it be a whale or we don't, we don't know. The Hebrew is actually big fish, right? That's, that's what it says. But the truth is, is that we don't know what kind of fish it is. But I can tell you this. If a fish is that big that it can swallow a human being and they can survive inside for three days, the fact that that fish vomited him up on shore says that that was God-ordained. Because he could just as easily have dove to the depths and vomited him out there and he would have died. Do you get what I'm saying? This is not just a thing. This is not coincidental. This is a real thing that really happened. Jonah, God vomited up. Now, I want you to think about this. And I'm not teaching Jonah, I promise. This is just a little side note. Think about the acids that were in in a fish's stomach. When he came out, he was probably white. Like maybe, you know, he might have been olive skin, but he's probably totally bleached. He probably had no hair, no nothing. It was probably all bleached off his body. He probably looked like a total freak. Seriously. Why does that matter? Think about how God is. He's going in to talk to the Ninevites, who were Amorites, who worshipped Dagon, a fish god. He comes in, he's like, dude, (laughs) I just got out of a fish. Woo! Right? (laughs) He's like, (laughs) who knows what he smelled like, right? Who knows if he wasn't like, oh, there's a scale, okay. Right? Like, who knows? For real. Think about it. God used this very situation to do what? He goes in a day's journey. Nineveh took three days to cross. That's how big the city was in, on foot. It was, a, it was a big city. It was the biggest city for the Amorites. He gives them one of the shortest sermons ever. You guys want to know his sermon? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the whole sermon. And you know what it says right after that? The entire city repented. That's it. So Nineveh here. They're like, whoa, what is happening? This freak just said these things. Ah, We're going to listen, right? So God turned away his wrath. I'm sure you guys know the rest of the story. He goes and cries over a gourd and all this other stuff because he hated the Ninevites, right? So he actually goes out and he's stomping his feet and he's like, I knew you were going to do the good thing, God. Oh, right. He's all bitter because they did good for the Ninevites. That's what Jonah did. Why does that matter? Why am I giving you guys the background on this? Because Jesus is telling these Israelites, listen, the men of Nineveh that repented get it more than you do. And they had a guy that hated their guts that went in and preached to them. I love you. I'm for you. I want to see you come to the Messiah. That's what I want. I am not Jonah. Jonah hated them and yet they repented and you are not repenting. You guys, Jesus was using this to tell them 
the future for himself. He was literally giving them right here in this statement all that they need, all that they needed to understand the goal, to understand the point. And before we get too hard on the Pharisees, we also know the disciples still didn't get it either, right? They're like, I don't know what you're talking about with that Jonah thing, right? We see it later because they're like, he'll say it again and again and again. And they're like, okay, right? And Peter even is like, (laughs) you're incorrect. Let me correct you, right? That's when Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Can I say one other thing, you guys? And we keep hammering on this. This is another one of those script passages of scripture that makes it clear that when we hear things, and if you guys are here and you may have said these things because you're not a believer yet, I want to run this by you. No one can say that Jesus was just a good man. No one. This is another one of those passages. The reality is this. Either Jesus said what was true and that this was absolutely prophetic in every way, because how would any human being know? Oh, hey, by by the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to be put into a tomb. And three days later, I'm going to be risen from the dead. Like how, you know, resurrected. You can't do that. I can't do that. No one else can do that. So either that's true or he was a total lunatic. The truth is, you guys. To not believe something that is so historically, so painfully obvious is a willful choice to not see reality. That's the fact. It's willful. Jesus did rise again. Flip over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. This is Paul speaking, right? He's like, Laying it out for the church in Corinth. And he's letting them know, like, man, this is what happened. This is the history of what what happened after Jesus rose again. Verse 3 in chapter 15 of uh, 1 Corinthians says this. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I had received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, right? And by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. In other words, he's saying, look, most of these 500 guys, you could go find and talk to them because they're still alive, right? But some have fallen asleep. Some have died. Verse 7. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And you guys all know the story, right? He was knocked off his little donkey as he was trying to put down Christians. And Jesus was like, man, Saul, what are you doing? Kicking against the ghost. Stop it, right? You guys, here is someone that gave his life, Paul, for the Lord. We know that Peter gave his life. He was crucified upside down, according to church history, right after they watched, he watched his wife get beheaded for the faith. We know that in the Colosseum, there's record after record after record, especially under Nero, of them sewing animal skins to the backs, through the skin to the backs, and then throwing them to lions so the lions would devour them. We know that there were hundreds, thousands of people that died for Christ. I want to ask you guys something. So many people have died for this truth. If you're here today and you're not a believer, if you're watching online and you're not a believer, I've got to ask you guys, if you actually think this is all a fake story, do you think that people would actually keep the facade up all the way to death? 
I don't think there's any way a real fake story is going to last. Someone's going to give it up. They're going to be like, hey, it was all fake. It's, it's wrong. No, that's not what happened. Hundreds of thousands of people died in that generation. And, or, well, I shouldn't say hundreds of thousands, thousands at least that we know of. But over the years, hundreds of thousands of people have died for Christ. And they still are. It wasn't that long ago that ISIS was beheading Egyptian Coptic Christians. It's still happening right now. Jesus gives them two pretty harsh judgments, right? We already talked about the one, the people in Nineveh. They repented based on this little eight word sermon from Jonah. And Jonah hated them. He hated the Ninevites with a passion. But they're going to stand up on the day of judgment and look at these people and say, are you for real? Are you for real? Like he was standing right in front of you speaking and you're not listening. You didn't listen. (coughs) Queen of Sheba is the queen of the south. You guys know that story? It's in first Kings 10, one through 13. We're not going to read it, but we are going to flip over there. So if you guys could flip over to first Kings chapter 10, we're going to read a couple verses out of there. But what we read in this whole section is the Queen of Sheba comes up, right? Most scholars believe that she was the Queen of Ethiopia. We know she's famous. It's not like the Bible is the only place that she's mentioned. We know about her. She's well known. When I was visiting Turkey, when I, well, I wasn't visiting. I was told to go there by the government, but, (laughs) but I enjoyed it. It was awesome. Um, but while I was there, we went to places where the Queen of Sheba, right? And this isn't a Muslim culture. Where they're like, oh, she was here. And there's an archway here where her and Solomon supposedly met. And there's all this stuff that happens. And they know all about Paul. So there's a lot of history that isn't just this, this, you know, one book that talks about. It's all throughout history, real history. So the Queen of Sheba comes to see Solomon, right? And she's like amazed. She's totally amazed at all that is talked about with Solomon. But I want to read to you guys what Jesus is really getting at here in verse 6. Of chapter 10. Says this. Then she said to the king. She's talking to Solomon. It was a true report. Which I heard in my own land. About your words and your wisdom. However I did not believe the words. Until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed the half. Was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity. Exceed the fame. Of which I heard. What's Jesus getting at by saying, look, whenever the queen of Sheba rises in your generation on the day of judgment, she's going to judge you. He's saying she came, she saw, and she believed that Solomon was who he says he was. And what's Jesus saying? There's one that's greater than Solomon here, right, right in front of your face right now. Do you get where he's going with these two references? He's basically hammering them. He's like, you guys are missing it. You are entirely, completely off your rocker. You've been waiting for the Messiah this whole time and you've missed it. You're, you're in the process right now of missing it. You guys, there's not going to be an excuse for them on the day of judgment. If they didn't turn from their disbelief. I want to say that again, because remember who we're talking about, the religious leaders, the people that from the outside looking in had it all figured out. The people that everyone else would look at and be like, they know all about God. They've got the quarter market on God. They're smart, man. They've been to school. A lot of Pharisees actually memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. Memorized. Dude, I struggled to memorize a verse. 
Jesus wept. Yes. <laughs> right? No, but for real. They had, they had a lot of religious training. They knew what they were talking about. But yet, they had no clue what they were talking about at the exact same time. Right? Because they didn't look and say, wow, who is this guy? What they thought was, this guy's taking away from us and so he needs to die. For us, it's the same. We've got to ask the question. We've got to wrestle with the most important question for every human being on the earth, past, present, and future. Is Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, or is he not? That's the one question we all have to answer. It's the one eternal question. It is so much more important than what we're going to have for dinner tonight. It's so much more important even than how am I going to spend my money or where am I going to live? It's more important than any of those things because that is temporal. They're going to go away. Who gives a hoot where you live? Really? Right? But I do have one question. Where will you spend eternity? Because the answer to that one question, is Jesus who he says he is? Is he the Savior that died on the cross and rose again to save you and save me from my sins, past, present, future, all of them, because I can't do it on my own. We can't do it on our own. Is he that or is he not? Because that literally will give you the answer to where you will spend eternity, heaven or hell. Hell is not a place that God says, yeah, I'm sending you there. No, quite the opposite. We know God's word tells us that he wishes that all would come to him. He doesn't want to send anybody to hell, but he is such a gentleman. He'll give you what you ask for. And if you want to be separated from him eternally, you will be. And it's not a good place. We are eternal beings. Let's keep going. Verse 43. When an unclean spirit, this is Jesus still talking, right? He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and enters and dwells there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first so shall it be with this wicked generation. You guys, sounds like he's shifting gears here, doesn't it? Seems like a little odd shift. Like I'm talking to you about Nineveh, I'm talking to you about the Queen of Sheba, and now we're going to talk about a man that's got a, that's demon-possessed. But it actually fits. Keeping the context that he's trying to talk to the Pharisees about him being trapped by them, he's trying to get them to see their own heart, right? Think about this. He compares the, their empty religious expressions to a demon leaving a man and then returning. So I don't think that Jesus is actually trying to give us a bunch of knowledge about demon possession and what all that looks like, but we do get a little bit here. The one thing we get that we don't really see elsewhere in scripture is this, is that a demon can willfully leave a person after they possess them, right? Because what do you see often? You see Jesus being like, out! And they're like, okay, right? Like, can we go to the pigs? (laughs) Can we do whatever, right? They have to leave. That's what we normally see. But we get a little information here. He tells us that these demons can choose to leave a man or a a woman, right? A human and leave and then return. I want to note I want you to notice. And this is where the kind of the correlation comes in is that what he says the man does when the demon leaves is what? 
Clean up. Be better. Get better. Right? He's in his right mind for the first time in who knows how long. He recognizes that he's in his right mind. And so he's like, man, I better fix this. I got to get way more religious than I have been in the past. I need to fix this and I need to get, you know, I need to go to church on Sunday. Man, I need to fix this and I need to stop swearing, stop drinking, stop doing drugs. I need to stop messing with the Ouija board. All those are great things. That's totally all real true. Good stuff. Stop it. If you're here today and you're messing with stuff like that, stop it. I'm not kidding. But. What's Jesus saying? He's saying for all that religious endeavor, for all the trying to get better or be better, to be a good man or a good woman, all that, where is his soul? Whenever the demon returns, it's empty. It's still empty. There's nothing in there. You guys, I want to say this loud and clear. The Protestant church does a great job of saying about how empty the Catholic church is. But can I tell you something? I've met plenty of spirit-filled, believing Catholics. The Protestant church acts like they've got the corner market on that. And I've met plenty of Protestants that come to church and have no spirit in them. It's not about what church you go to. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about what church you go to. It's literally about, do you know Jesus? Have you accepted that he did the work on the cross for you? Because when you do that, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. You are no longer empty. You don't, you're not going to have squatters. What happens when squatters move in? They pee in places they shouldn't pee. They spray paint all over the walls. They go crazy. Don't they? You guys, what does it say that that, that happens? Jesus says what happens. He says, man, this one guy, this one demon comes in and brings seven nastier friends along with. And it's worse than it was to begin with. And you know what's sad about that? And I've seen this type of stuff. I'm not I have seen demon possession, but I'm saying I'm not saying specifically this way. But I've seen people that tried to make their lives better. And you'd be like, it's about Jesus, bro. And they're like, I don't really want Jesus, but I'll come to church. Okay, well, what's the point of church without Jesus, right? And then you're like, but they're like, well, but I've stopped doing this and I'm getting better here and I'm getting better there. And then guess what? Their world still falls apart. And because they have no anchor in Christ, they're like, none of this worked. And you're like, because you didn't do anything. You know, it's for real. We've got to understand. And that's what he's saying. He's like, you guys understand that the religious Pharisees have done better They've cleaned themselves up compared to where they were. We're going through the book of Judges on Wednesday night. Do you know what the theme of the book of Judges is? They did what was right in their own eyes, which meant that they would murder people. And it meant that they would do whatever they want. Next week, you guys, if you want to come on Wednesday, we're going to read about a concubine that gets caught up and sent to places. Yeah, right? That's what was right in their own eyes. That's horrible. They had all this idolatry, all this idol worship. They had pretty much... At this point in history, when Jesus was on the scene, they cleaned a lot of that up on the outside. We went to a Dead Sea Scrolls thing in Philadelphia one time, and we got to see all their little gods, all their little house gods that they had. And there was still a ton, right, that they still had. But a lot of that was more hidden, which goes exactly against what we talk about here at the church all the time, right? We don't put on plastic faces because they had their little gods, and then they would put on their plastic face and be like, okay, we're going to go sacrifice. And they thought that meant something. 
It's about being real. And so what's he saying? He's like, man, you religious Pharisees, you think you've cleaned yourselves up. You think that you've fixed this. You've got your 613 laws that you're following pretty good. You're doing okay on that. But now the long awaited Messiah is here and you're too busy getting mad and despising him. And if you continue to choose to ignore the way of grace and mercy that God was showing through Christ, he's saying it's going to be even worse for you in the long run. And I don't know about y'all, how many times any of you have ever gone to Shabbat celebrations or anything like that. But the, the Jewish faith is splintered into a bunch of different factions. Most of those factions are extremely liberal religiously. I'm not talking about politics, liberal religiously to the point that the one that I had to go to when I was in college, when I was studying Judaism, I had a gentleman come up to my wife and I who were there and he said directly, there really is no God. I mean, you know, it's just. It's just good to come and be in community. Like, that's really what God is. And he was a, pra- he was a practicing Jew. And, I, and, and, and in that class, we weren't allowed to evangelize. And it broke my heart. So my wife and I were praying hard for that guy. Because I'm like, Lord, I hope he understands that there's way more to this than, than what they've got there. Right? So it, it is worse for them in the long run. It has become worse for them in the long run. We can see it. But you guys, for us today, we need to recognize that Jesus is as much a real being as God in the flesh here on earth that died and rose again and is sitting at the right hand of God and that Satan is really a fallen angel, just like the Bible tells us he is. He's a created being. This isn't yin and yang. This isn't, you know, power versus power. This is a created being that God has such mercy for some reason to not just go and squish him out of existence. I wish he would. He brought a third of the angels down. We read about this in the Old Testament. These fallen angels are now what we call demons or demonic. And they're not meant to be trifled with. They are real. It's not a joke. Why am I saying all these things? Because listen, if you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus, you have an empty house. You're not that important though. So 10 to one, you're probably not just going to be taken over by a demon, right? They got more important people they're trying to mess with. But can I say something? If you're hearing you're messing with Ouija boards, if you're messing with the occult in any way, you're opening yourself up to stuff that you should not be. You're opening yourself up to things that you should not be. And I want to say one other thing because I know we have some folks that struggle with drug addiction and I'm sure we're going to have more in the future. And I love that. I love that God is working in the hearts and minds of every last human being. But here's the truth. When we read the word sorcery, when we read the word about people that were messing around with stuff that was occultish, that word in the Greek is pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. It was almost always attached to drugs. I believe absolutely when I watch documentaries about LSD, then people are like, my mind was open. Yes, it was. You shouldn't have. It's not meant to be open that way. And I'm not up here judging. Y'all know my past. I've done my share. But I'm telling you, it's not wise and it's not good and you shouldn't be doing it. I also want to say one other thing to all every believer here. And I've said this before. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, he's not going to abide squatters. 
I've had Christians come up and be like, well, I'm afraid maybe I can be demon possessed. No, you can't. The Holy Spirit is God dwelling in you. A created being is not going to come to God and be like, get out. He's going to be like, how about you? Move along. Right. So you need to have that that understanding, that comfort and the peace that like that's not the way that's going to look. There isn't room for any other dweller if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. He's taken up every nook and cranny, I promise. Verse 46. Let's finish this chapter off. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. (laughs) I love how the Bible does that. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You guys. Jesus even had his own family concerned about him at this point in time. It's kind of telling like they we read in other in other gospels that they said that he felt that, that there's I think it's in Mark where he says like that they thought he was beside himself, which literally is where we get the word schizophrenic. They thought he had like gone nuts, that he had cracked. Something was wrong with him. Why? Think about it. He's standing up against Pharisees and he's making extremely bold statements, huge statements. And they're wanting to speak with him because they're concerned. Right. And now I want you to think about this at this point in history. Right. Um, John the Baptist was in jail. Herod had jailed him. Who was he? You guys remember he was Jesus's cousin. So there's a lot of family ties going on here that they're like, man, John's in jail. Who knows if he's going to make it? He told Herod that he shouldn't have married his, you know, his brother's wife and all that. So like there's all this stuff happening and they're like, and now you're coming against the other authority in all of Rome that matters to the Jews, all of the religious leaders. It's not, it's scary to them. And I want you to understand what Jesus' response is in a way that can be understood clearly because here's the truth. It sounds kind of rude to us, doesn't it? If my mom... And my brother came and they're like, hey, we want to speak to you. And I'm like, who is my mother? Who is my brother? You'd be like, well, you're a jerk. (laughs) Right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's really not. And I want to explain it. First, we need to look elsewhere in Scripture to see that Jesus loved his family very, very much. Jesus is going to, in the future, tell John, the disciple, hey, From the cross, while he's hanging there, while he's dying, while he's bleeding out, while his back has been ripped to shreds already. All these things, he looks down at his mom and he looks down at John and he's like, hey, John, this is your mom. He obviously wasn't pointing his hands her this way. Right? He's like, John, this is your mom. Right? Like, mother, see your son. He took care of his mom. He took care of her. And I want you to see this. Even though his own half-brothers didn't believe initially, we have two letters in the Bible from his half-brothers. So they came to know Jesus. We have Jude and the book of James, right? Sometimes people think that James was the brother of John, the disciple. No, James died early, early, early. Not long after Stephen, right? Like he, was, he died soon. And so James was not alive anymore. And so that, that James they're speaking of is the half-brother of Jesus, both children of Joseph and Mary. That's why I call them half-brothers. And I'm going to 
I'm going to bring something up. It might offend. I apologize if it does, but I can't help but to bring it up. And that is this. The Roman Catholic faith believes that Mary was eternally a virgin. It's one of the reasons that they pray to Mary is because they think that she was a virgin and that she has a special ear to Jesus. This scripture actually goes against that in so many ways because Jesus is saying like, my mom is a human being just like every other human being. And it's all about what she believes or doesn't believe. Right? That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that they believe that obviously, um, if she remained a virgin, that she had no other children. And there's a couple things that I want to talk about. And I'm not, this is not to cause an argument. I want you guys to hear this because I want you to understand what level it plays in salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think it's good for us to know things so that we can say when it comes up, I do know about that. And I also know that it's not that important. Because when we don't know things and we're, we're kind of confronted with them, sometimes what's our thing? Let's defend it. <laughs> we got to defend, <laughs> right? And so it's good to know things that other groups believe that are not salvific. Now, listen, defend Christ. Mm-hmm. Defend that till you're blue in the face. That's the one to defend. Jesus died and rose again. That I will defend. That is a hill I'll die on. This one is not. But I want to explain something. And this is what I see here that to me is against what the Catholic Church believes. They believe that Mary was eternally a virgin, that she never had sex ever, right? That that definitely God was in her that brought Jesus about. But then they believe that there was nothing after that. And the fact is, first off, she wouldn't have been a very good wife to Joseph if she never gave him children. That was the whole point of a marriage, especially back then. Lastly, these half-brothers were obviously younger than Jesus because that's how they get around it. Sometimes they'll say, well, these were all older brothers that Joseph had to a first marriage, which we have no proof of. There's no proof of that at all. But the fact is, is that they're obviously younger. Why do I say that? Well, guess whose job it was once the dad died to deal with taking care of the mother, the oldest son. So what do you think Jesus, he would have been stepping out of line If James or Jude were older brothers and he was stepping in and saying, hey, John, this is your mom, he would have been out of line. And so to me, it's a clear picture that Jesus was the oldest, that he was doing the role of the oldest son on the cross when he said to Mary, this is your son. This is who I've assigned for you to be your caretaker. And it makes sense that he had younger brothers that weren't in that position yet. Do you get it? That weren't going to be able to handle that for Mary. So these are just some things that I bring up as a way to see that these are the half-brothers of Jesus. And I want you to understand something. John 7, 5, the Gospel of John 7, 5 says this. says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. This is whenever they were talking to him before he went into Jerusalem. And they were saying to him, like, no, just go another way. What are you doing? Stop making a spectacle of yourself, essentially. And then it says they didn't, they didn't believe in him. They didn't know that he had to go to Jerusalem. They didn't know that that was exactly where God wanted him to go. We see that even though the way Jesus respond may seem harsh, it really wasn't. You guys, just like when we get a text that you find out later, you took it all wrong. Has anybody ever done that? You get a text and you're like, oh, that, oh, <laughs> and then you're like, bah, 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 bah. you flash a text right off. And then you're like, um, what? Right? Like they're now they're mad. And then it's just, yeah, it just turns into chaos. Right? That would have been fixed if somebody would have picked up a phone. <laughs> I'm not bitter. (laughs) You guys, that's kind of what we see here. First off, we got to get the context. We got to understand that he loved his family. 
dearly. He loved him. He loved his family as much as he loves any of us. If that's even believable. But it is. It's true. He loved us all. Right? And so we can't read this and think, oh, Jesus was being a jerk. Not at all. Instead, we need to see that Jesus was using this moment to the multitude and to his disciples as a teaching opportunity. And he was speaking to his disciples and he was saying to those, what? If you do the will of the father, you are my brother, singular. You are my sister, singular. You are my mother. That last one might sound weird, but we got to remember again, contextually, if you were older, if anyone was older than Jesus, you didn't call them sister. You called them mother, right? We actually see this. We had a couple uh, people here at the church that would always be like, Mama Grace, Mama Grace, you know, and they were like one year younger. And so you're like, well, this is weird. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they were year, they were years younger. But the point is that Mama Grace, that whole idea of Mama, 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 that's just a thing. And it's, it's a respect thing is what it is. And so when he's saying these things, he's saying like, look, if you do the will of the father, what is the will of the father for us to accept Christ, to walk in the Holy Spirit? If you're doing that, you guys, and you're here today, you are a mother, you are a brother, you are a sister. We'll stick with the brother and sister thing for us. You're a brother or a sister in the Lord. You are a brother and a sister. I want that to sink deep for us. I don't know about y'all. We call our church a family. And I think a lot of churches will say that, but I don't know if it's always true, but I, and, and maybe it's, I'm biased, I'm, I admit, but I really feel like it is true here. I feel like our church does their best to be a family and that's good and bad, right? Cause we'll have like, we get into bickering, bickering matches and all the fun stuff, but it's, that's not what defines us. What defines us is Christ. What defines us is love and mercy and grace. And I want to say something to you is that if you're here today and you're feeling beat down, two things. Number one, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. He went to the cross for you. He loves you. Don't let your circumstances dictate what you think God thinks about you because it's totally not true. God loves you. Period. End of sentence. And if you've accepted Christ, you are in that love. You're good. You are a brother. You are a sister. You're good. We also have a family here. So if you're going through something, guess what? We get to be that family to one another. Doing the will of God is lifting up the arms of a fellow brother or sister. Doing the will of God is, you ready for this? Calling out the garbage when we see it in a brother or a sister, right? Doing the will of God is to be in fellowship one with another. That's why it's so important that we're here together. That's why it's important that for those that can't make it Sunday after Sunday, we have some folks that are online every week because they are physically not able to come. That's why it's important for us as family to be reaching out to them. It's why it's important not to just click up and be like in your little click, but to get to know other people because we have people here today right now that are visiting. And every week, you guys, we have four to six visitors on average every week, every week. I don't ever want a visitor to walk out of here feeling like, oh, they didn't say anything. Listen, we've been accused of some things. You ready? I'm going to say one thing we've been accused of that I thought was hilarious. We had someone that was like, you guys are too friendly. I don't think I'm coming back. 
I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, go find a less friendly church, sorry. I can't direct you to any because I see a lot of them around. <laughs> you know, I don't know, that was a weird one. <laughs> but if that's the problem that we have as a church, well, okay, so be it. I'll take that problem. Any day. You guys, we get to be here to serve one another. We get to work through hard things together as family. And there's an intimacy and a special bond that's gained in church family that I will say rivals blood relatives. The Bible tells us, right, that a, that a friend sticks closer than a brother. I think that's true. And I love my little brother dearly. And I promise you he would take a bullet from me as I would him. But I think there are plenty more people that would actually do something even crazier and greater here in this church. And that is this. Walk through the swamp of despair for days and days and days with me. And I would do the same for them. That to me is what the difference is. We have to choose. We have to choose Christ. And when we choose Christ, you guys... We get to choose, man, like, who am I going to fellowship with? Who am I going to press into? Because God's word says clearly, like, man, we come together. We fellowship one with another. So you pick that. And then after that, guess what? You get busy. And you get busy being a part of the family. I love it. We have some visitors right now. I even asked one lady today. I said, hey, will you help? And she's like, yes, I want to help. And she, like, took the little thing and put it on. And she was super stoked about it. That's awesome. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. Not because we need a warm body filling space, but because we need people that are saying, I want to serve the Lord. Like, let's do this. Amen. Doing the will of God is loving Jesus and others, serving Jesus and others, pressing into relationship with Jesus and others. If you're doing that, you're part of the family. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.